Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Kimchi, kombucha, sauerkraut, miso, and kefir, all fermented foods and drinks have been around for centuries, but suddenly they're all the rage, aren't they? The simple reason is that they are packed full of gut-healthy bacteria, and we are finally waking up to just how much the trillions of microorganisms that live in our guts contribute to our mental and physical health. Gut health is now strongly linked to our overall well-being, including weight management, energy, and stress. The thing is, unless you're fermenting foods for yourself, these products are not cheap. Yet at just £1.50 for a 350 gram pot of Yo Valley Kefir, this daily boost high in protein, low in fat and with natural and fruity flavours to choose from is in the yoghurt aisle at all the major supermarkets. To find out more, head over to yovalley.co.uk. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. If you're considering going vegan in 2020, you're in good company. The number of people following a vegan diet in the UK has quadrupled between 2014 and 2019. Nearly half of vegans have made the change in the past 12 months, and this is according to the Vegan Society. If you think a plant-based diet might be for you, and whether your motivation is animal welfare, environmental, health-driven, dietary, or a combination. For this week's Food for Thought, registered dietitian Sam Gould and I are going to give you the lowdown on everything you need to know and think about if you want to go vegan or plant-based. Hello, Sam. Hi, Rhiannon. Hi, thank you so much for coming in. I know you've just said you've just dropped your nine-year-old, no, not nine-year-old, nine-month-old daughter. I added a few years on there <laughs> just to be across the road so you've had a very busy start to the day yeah so I've got the train down from Bristol with my little one and it was great she loved it we had her in a sling front facing going through the tube she yeah. thought it was amazing yeah oh, so she's over the road chilling out with her dad yeah. while I'm here talking to you incredible we've got someone that really is doing everything here in the studio with us so I think to start to clear things up once and for all, um, is going vegan the healthiest diet out there? So it can be one of the healthiest diets out there. Um, and the, the main reason for this is because if your vegan diet is well planned, if you're eating a variety of foods, if it's balanced, then yes, all the evidence does suggest that eating lots of plant foods is really good for your health and one of the healthiest things you can do. But that's the caveat. Yeah, and it's. I think the key there is if it's well planned yes absolutely (laughs) absolutely because more often than not um I think some easy grab and go things especially in London is like oh pretz vegan cookies or like different things you can have (laughs) around and I could definitely live off that kind of thing but I think a topic that does come up time and time again is how do you get enough protein um 
I mean, there are whole varieties of foods there aren't there that people don't know contain protein. Absolutely. And that is one of the questions I get asked all the time still, where do you get your protein from? Um, and I like to think of plant-based pr- protein as um, sort of splitting into two groups, if you like. So I think of your primary sources of plant-based protein. So that would be things that you would think are good protein sources, things like beans, lentils, soya products, including soy milk and tofu and temper, nuts and seeds, seitan, corn. Those are your primary sources of protein. Mm. Um, and the reason why they're your primary sources is because they tend to have at least eight of the nine essential amino acids in adequate amounts. And some of those are complete proteins as well, like soya products and corn. So when we say complete, we mean contain all of those amino acids. Absolutely. All of the nine essential amino acids in adequate amounts. And um, if they do lack an amino acid, it tends to be methionine. But they're a good source of lysine. Mm. Um, And what you'd want to aim to do is try and have a primary source of plant-based protein on your meal um, on your plate at every meal yeah that's what you want to do then you've got your secondary sources or supplementary sources of plant-based protein and these are things that you wouldn't necessarily think have protein in them but they do so things like pasta cereal bread rice we think of these as carbohydrate foods but actually a portion of pasta would give you about 10 grams of protein yeah, so this is just it. People would listening must be like, oh my goodness. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and even things like peas, broccoli and cauliflower have small amounts of protein in them too. If you had an 80 gram side of one of those, it would give you between two to five grams of extra protein. So you can see that if your plate is based on a starchy carbohydrate like pasta and you have a couple of sides of vegetables and then you team that with a primary protein like beans or lentils or tofu, you can see quite clearly how not only would that give you a really good amount of protein, it gives you a lovely balanced plate as well. Oh, I love that. And that's one of my favourite things, a good balanced plate, I just think. It is definitely, I think veganism, a lot of people see it sometimes as being quite restrictive, but actually what you've just described is a lovely full plate full of so many different options for people. Totally. And it's funny because before I went vegan, and I I went vegan 13 years ago, um, I actually found it it opened things up for me. I was trying foods that I'd never go near before. I didn't used to eat beans or lentils or quinoa or I would never have dreamt of trying tofu. (laughs) I think people are a lot more open-minded like now because there's so many things available. But for me, it opened up the doors and now I eat a huge variety of foods, whereas before I was I was quite personally very limited. In what well, I was it's eating. so nice to hear an actual registered dietitian saying, well, 13 years ago, because obviously you made this yeah. choice a long time before all the, I would almost call it a buzz yes. that, it, that has now happened. Um, and it would be great if you could talk us through um, the different nutrients on a vegan diet that are needed, um, because you can pretty much get everything except, I, I mean, there's a few of them, but B12 is the most commonly known one that's quite difficult to get. Yeah, so B12 is certainly a micronutrient to look out for. But there are are others as well. So you should be thinking about selenium, iodine, vitamin D, and also omega-3s, which are essential fatty acids. But going back to B12, luckily a lot of plant-based foods are now fortified with B12. But it's important that you know what these are so that they can become a regular part of your diet. So a really good dietary source would be your fortified plant milks. Mm, Yes. So a 250ml serving would give you about a microgram. And we need about 1.5 to 2 micrograms a day of B12. Brilliant. Halfway there. Yep. Um, you might have heard of nutritional yeast or yes. nooch, <laughs> as, as it's known in the community. I think it tastes great, personally. Yeah. And when you open up the box, it does look like fish food. <laughs> I don't know if you... <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> it looks a little bit off-putting. But it's got kind of a cheesy, salty kind of umami flavour to it. And it's really good sprinkled on savoury foods in gravies, on like bolognese's in stews you can use it in like sort of vegan cheese sauces it's like a parmesan substitute yeah you can just sprinkle it on the top of like a bolognese or something and just five grams of that will give you two micrograms and then things like yeast extract or marmite which is also fortified Mm, love a marmite now i know that is a love or hate thing but (laughs) even (laughs) these two items though they're not expensive no they're not and um they're very easily available now And, you know, again, 13 years ago, 
I would have to go to several shops to get these items. And, you know, I, I went to a, a high street supermarket the other day and there were boxes of nutritional yeast in there. And before I would have had to have sourced it online or go to a specialist health food store just to get it. So things have massively changed. It's amazing. And if we could just touch on B12, why do we need it? You know, what what is it that makes it such a crucial vitamin to get? So it's important for nerve function. Um, and if you're not having it regularly in your diet, then it can make you anemic, very tired, very fatigued. And it's the kind of deficiency that takes a while to present. So some people might be three or four years into their veganism, still feeling great, never taken a B12 supplement or, e- or, or eaten fortified foods. Um, and they're fine. But if they were to continue doing that another sort of 10 years down the line, they might start running into issues. So you need to be wary of it. That's really important to note, actually, because I think people feel a lot of um, sudden amazing benefits and it's actually quite important to be clued up on the nutrition. Absolutely. Absolutely. We all need to be mindful of what we're eating and, you know, vegans included. So would you suggest adding an additional supplement to the diet then or just purely using these fortified foods or does it depend on someone's anemia status? So the British Dietetic Association say there are two ways you can get your B12. You can either aim for three micrograms of fortified foods daily, which requires a little bit of planning and a you know a bit of consideration, or aim for a 10 microgram daily supplement. Now, the Vegan Society have a supplement called Veg1, and I mentioned earlier about selenium, iodine and vitamin D and yes. how they can be tricky to get mm. on a, a vegan diet. Um, the Veg1 supplement has B12, selenium, iodine and vitamin D. Perfect. And of course, all UK inhabitants should be considering a vitamin D supplement in the winter months anyway, because our sunlight quality isn't isn't great in the UK. And after all, it's sunshine, which helps you make vitamin D. Today, it's grey. I mean, it let's is. be real. The whole is. <laughs> <laughs> We go outside as the time we're recording this podcast is January and it is a grey day. <laughs> it's a very grey day. And, you know, even when it's summer in the UK, you, you, you only get maybe at best sometimes a few weeks of really good mm. sunshine. And then you can should only really be staying out in the sunshine for 20, 30 minutes. You can't be overdoing it. So well, Equally, yeah. the different, I guess, different ethnicities, the colour of your skin can affect the absorption rate. Absolutely. There's so many factors. Aren't there? Absolutely, absolutely. So that's interesting. So they do offer a supplement with those specific nutrients in them. Yes. Because there's a lot of talk about iodine linked to cognition and brain health and yep. thyroid fun- functions. So these are these are really important. Absolutely. And other countries across the world um, fortify some of their foods with iodine. And iodized salt is a is a very common place thing in America, for instance. So it's a recognised thing that it's not just vegans need to be thinking about iodine um people who maybe don't eat much fish don't eat much dairy products they might find also that they're not quite getting their recommended intake a hundred percent i think you've hit the nail on the head there so the majority of people in the uk we know don't get their fiber day we know they don't eat their portion of fish a week anyway so it's very unfair to label one type of lifestyle choice as superior to another actually because it's down to an individual to have Absolutely. A good planned diet, regardless of the food choices Absolutely. that they make. So I think what people don't realise about going vegan is that your body absorbs foods very differently, though, doesn't it? That's the key. I mean, yep. iron is a good example of that completely. You can be... You don't have to be vegan to be anemic and not get enough iron. Yeah. <laughs> Anemia, iron deficiency is really common, actually, in women. Um, we menstruate every month. We have lots of blood loss. So I think that the last figure I looked at was one in four women um, can become iron deficient at some point in their lives. Obviously, in pregnancy as well, no. iron deficiency <laughs> can be really common because baby's making lots of its own blood. Um, so, yeah, it's something that multiple groups need to be thinking about. But with vegans in particular, all of their sources of iron are from plants. And there's two different types of iron, isn't there? You've got your heme iron, which comes from animal sources, and you've got your plant non-heme iron. Um, Now, what's interesting is the majority of iron in everyone's diet actually comes from plants. Mm. And fortified cereals make up a really good lion's share of the amount of iron that we have every day. And that's across the board. But it's particularly important for vegans to 
be accessing those fortified cereals. You know, two um, wheat biscuits, for instance, can give you 4.5 milligrams of iron. Which is brilliant. If you have it with, um, with some, I'm just thinking of vitamin C, so something to aid absorption as well, then you absolutely have a biscuit with a... That's a good example. A little glass I don't like, of juice or yeah, a berry. Like, absolutely, <laughs> a berry. Yeah, it's you berries. <laughs> yeah, so you could have um, you could yeah. have your your wheat biscuits in the morning or another fortified cereal. Put a bit of lovely fortified plant milk yeah. on there, or a bit of yogurt. Top yeah. it with some berries. Have a small glass of orange juice and hey presto, Perfect. there you go. That's already your iron because there you go. It's so much easier if you understand that though, because there's also confusions around. I mean, fiber, surely if you go vegan, you're going to be automatically increasing the amount of fiber that you're getting in the diet in the first place. I would hope if you're doing it right, you're getting yes. <laughs> a hell of a lot. So does this aid the digestion? Do you know, Did you notice a difference? That's interesting. Did I notice a difference? Yeah. I know this is anecdotal, well, but... Well, I mean, actually, when I first went vegan, um, I it was a very sort of spur of the moment thing. And I, I didn't do it the wrong way. There's no right or wrong way, I guess. But especially 13 years ago, I didn't have the knowledge of how to do it properly. And it took me a couple of years, really, to sort of get on top of it and get used to eating the different things. Um, but in terms of does an increase in fibre um, benefit gut health? I think it does. I think there's a lot of research to show that, you know, high fibre diets are really beneficial. And when you're plant-based, it's so easy to meet the current recommendations. Mm. The Scientific Advisory Committee on Nutrition, they raised the um, amount of fibre we should be eating daily from 18 grams to 30 grams in 2015. Now, if you're eating a plant-based diet, it's actually super easy to reach that if you're having that well-balanced, varied plate. Um, and one of the main reasons is all of our protein sources are also really rich in fiber. So if you're switching your chicken for chickpeas, you're going to be getting a lot of extra fiber in that meal. 100%, 100%. And it's also when it gets, I get a little bit frustrated as a health fresh. I'm sure you agree with um, emphasis purely being on calories for a healthy, yes, balanced lifestyle. Absolutely. Because people then don't even think about the fiber they're getting. I mean, surely yeah. if you're lowering your calories, it's almost, it's very tricky to get the amount of fiber you need in a diet. Totally. Um, you know, it's very problematic thinking about food as calories because food is so much more of that. I mean, you know, people also believe grouping foods is is maybe not the best idea because actually yeah. as we've discussed you know bread isn't just carbohydrate no you know it's fiber and it's lots of minerals and you know it's it's a bit of protein as well and there's very few um foods out there that actually only fall into one group if you like so it's good to sort of think of foods a bit more holistically and not just as numbers and not just mm. as targets or macros macros that's the word i think a lot of people are macro counting i think yeah. it's very heavy in the fitness industry actually this sort of approach yeah but it doesn't really take into account long-term health and we know numbers have a place we're not saying they don't but yeah. it's important to try and think of your food in a different way because isn't it true as well that the absorption of the calories from the food we eat is also dictated by the, the quality of the food. So if there's more fiber, you're less likely to absorb as many calories as a low fiber item. Possibly. I've actually mm. not heard much about that. Have yeah. you so what have you heard about that? So we did a podcast episode with Giles Yo. Um, was that recently? Yes. I haven't had a chance to you listen need to, to catch that. up on that. Yeah, because I know that was just released <laughs> and I was thinking that I should probably listen to this before the yeah. podcast. It was absolutely what fascinating. Did he say? Well he was talking about the actual uh, nutrient density of the item of food itself because yeah. I think an almond's quite a good example because of the amount of fiber and perhaps a little bit of fat in there too. Yeah. If an almond were 100 calories, you'd only actually absorb 70 because the rest is retained as the fiber and then excreted out. So it's, I see. Got yeah, you. Yes, I see what you mean. But then there are exceptions. So perhaps if you struggle with irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, perhaps going vegan could be a little bit more tricky. Yes, and we know that IBS looks really different for everyone. Mm. Um, and, you know, for some people, increasing your fibre to that extent might aggravate your IBS. But I have seen people say that going plant-based has helped their IBS. So it's definitely individualised. 100%. I yeah. was hearing someone speak, um, I think a doctor down based in Devon, actually. And he was saying, oh, my approach with IBS is to actually give them more fibre. I don't 
follow the current FODMAP recommendations, but yeah. could we touch on FODMAP a little bit and explain why perhaps um, it should always be supervised? Absolutely. So if you're someone that has IBS or you think you have IBS, there's lots of steps you'll go through before you get to FODMAPs. Um, things like looking at your alcohol intake, caffeine intake, um, things like spicy foods. Certain people find just cutting out things like onions and garlic can be massively helpful with their IBS symptoms. Things like anxiety and stress, we know that's a huge factor for many people that have IBS. So I would absolutely say look at those things first and foremost. And then if it's got to the point where those things aren't working and you need more help, absolutely talk to someone who can refer you to a specialist in FODMAPs, a registered nutritionist or dietitian or health professional that has that specific training. Because FODMAPs can be a very restrictive diet. And what some people forget to do is they cut out all those foods and they forget to reintroduce again. So they end up sticking with a very limited, very small range of foods that they can access. And, you know, that's not good for overall health. Well, also psychological health. I think, um, you know, impacting your relationship with food as well. It can mm. be a very difficult process. And it also depends on your environment and the access to food you have. Because absolutely any kind of vast dietary change like that, it takes a lot of work. It does. It really does. And because FODMAP, you know, if you're following FODMAPs and you're vegan or plant-based, there's quite a few things that, you know, I talked about those primary sources of proteins, quite a few of those things now that are sort of off the menu mm. while you're figuring things out. So the main sources of protein, if you're following a plant-based FODMAP diet, would be things like nuts, quinoa, seeds and corn. And then, of course, you do have less vegetables and fruits that you have access to as well mm. um, and limited grains that you can access too. Gosh, so ultimately to anyone listening, I because I hear this a lot in the Retrition Clinic, if you've just been referred by your doctor and just been sent off with a sheet to say go FODMAP, please question please. it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just ask for a referral to a dietitian on, on the NHS. Absolutely, absolutely, because I'm sure GPs have really good intentions mm -hmm. when they do that. But actually, um, it's really important to make sure you've gone through everything else first before you start FODMAPs. Yeah. And personally, even though I'm a registered dietitian, I wouldn't feel comfortable supporting someone with FODMAPs. I would absolutely refer them to someone who has that knowledge and experience. Oh my goodness, we have our gut health specialist in the clinic and I just yeah. would be lost without Caitlin. It, it's <laughs> Yes, it's very specialist. Yes. It's very specialist, yeah. Completely. So, But on another note, would you say if anyone then wants to go and try and become a vegan, it's this time of year... Is there a suggested route into doing it? Because often I hear stories of people rushing it quite quickly. Yeah, and I guess with anything, there's no one way to do it. But I find that the, the phrase slow and steady wins the race is probably the best. It means it gives you time to get your head around it, maybe cook different foods you've never tried cooking before, like beans and lentils, try different things. Um, so from a health perspective taking a more stepwise approach is quite a good idea. And a while ago, um, I don't even know where I heard this from, but I've retained it and thought it was brilliant. <laughs> Someone said, why don't you just go vegan for breakfast? Mm, one so meal go, a day. Yeah, go yeah. vegan for breakfast. So get yourself some plant milks, um, all the things you need to do that. Just go vegan for breakfast. And then after you've done that for a few weeks, try going vegan for lunch a couple of days. Yeah. And increase it like that and then go vegan for dinner. And then before you know it, you've transitioned across. You haven't wasted any food that might be in your cupboards. It's giving you time to find what you like, what you don't like, what works, what doesn't work, experiment with recipes. And it just seems like a sensible approach. Completely. And decrease likelihood probably of becoming deficient in anything because I guess the slower you do it, the more likely you are to think methodically about it, maybe. Yeah. And it's, it's quite a lot of things to think about um, and of course it depends what your diet was like before because mm. you know what if you're someone that was eating lots of legumes and lots of plant-based products anyway and it's just a case of maybe swapping a few things you might find actually it's something you could achieve quite quickly yeah. um, but I think for most it's good to take a relaxed approach to it if you need to um, use sort of um, substitutes or convenience foods in the meantime while you're switching that's fine they do range in terms of their healthiness um, but certainly they can make up 
part of a balanced diet. It's just mm. key to try and make sure the majority of your cooking is from scratch. Very sensible advice, yeah. Sam. And I think um, that kind of leads me on to, you mentioned the healthiness and weight loss is often associated with veganism. Uh, it's, yes. <laughs> it must be a little bugbear. I can see the expression on your face. Yes. Um, I guess when you go plant-based, it can be a way of losing weight. And I think probably for most, it's only because you're starting to eat healthier. Um, and maybe some of the foods on your plate um, might be lower in calorie than you realize. So I think for a lot of people, they get sort of accidental weight loss. And I have heard of people complain, oh, you know, I went I went vegan and I lost a load of weight and now I keep losing weight and I don't want to keep losing weight. What am I doing? And often it does come down to the fact you're not eating enough calories. Mm. And as we said before, a lot of plant foods are really high in fiber mm-hmm. and fiber is very filling. So you can have this lovely big plate of food, <laughs> lots of wonderful, you know, yeah, grains. I had the most amazing Buddha bowl yesterday and I couldn't finish it. Exactly. <laughs> but it's high in fibre and it's low in calories. Mm. And so you can imagine across the day, if you've cut a few hundred calories without realising it, then across the week, across the month, it does add up. Yeah. Um, and it's important that we meet our calorie needs because in meeting our calorie needs and eating a varied diet, you are virtually guaranteed to meet the amount of protein you need every day and meet those essential micronutrients such as iron, mm-hmm. calcium and zinc, which can be tricky to get on a vegan diet if it's not balanced. And I mustn't forget, we need to discuss omega-3. Yes. Because that's a really crucial element, so I'll, I'll let you touch on that. Okay, so as you know, when we usually talk about omega-3s, we talk about fish. Mm-hmm. And omega-3 fish, um, the, the name for it is a EH. EPA or DHA. So the omega-3s found in fish are EPA and DHA. And plant versions of omega-3s are called ALA. Now, our body is actually able to convert ALA into EPA and DHA, the form that we need. But the conversion rate is very low. So for us to make sure we're getting enough of that EPA and DHA, we need to make sure we're eating enough ALA-containing foods. As long as you're getting a tablespoon of flaxseed or chia seeds a day or six walnut halves, that's enough ALA that when your body converts it, you'll make enough DHA Mm. or EPA. Fascinating. You can also take algal oil supplements. Yes, the DHA ones. Because after all, um, fish get their... Um, DHA and EPA from algae yeah, which they was something the algae in the sea <laughs> totally which I absolutely didn't realise until a few years ago yeah. I thought that was amazing yeah. so yeah there are a couple of ways that, that, that you can get your omega 3s yeah and I think as um, Sam said it's the importance of understanding how it works in the body so you do need to make sure you're getting these components in your diet guys because if you're not you're likely to be low in that and omega 3 is super beneficial for your brain health your heart health so many factors but there are also lots of supposed health benefits as well from kidney function and i don't know blood sugar levels you name it um are these correct (laughs) so it is it's well accepted that the more plants you can get in your diet the better that's across the board we like that Mm -hmm. um we do think there's a possibility that plant-based diets can be used to treat kidney disease and maybe even prevent it. We know that high fiber diets are really beneficial for cardiovascular health. Mm. And of course, plant-based diets done well are high fiber. We know high fiber diets reduce your likelihood of developing type two diabetes. And we know they reduce the likelihood of you getting certain types of digestive cancers. So that's all brilliant. And every year it seems like more and more research comes out showing there are some really good links between more plant-based diets and overall good health. Mm. Um, so it's something to keep an eye on for sure. I agree. I think evidence is emerging that there's there's so many benefits to it. Mm. But equally, we have to be so aware that it's not a miracle. It's not going to cure cancer or anything exactly. like that. No, nothing is. There's no, no wonder diet out there. And even the Mediterranean diet, which is one of the, you know, the, the most praised diets out there, um, you know, even that's not going to provide miracles and you know there's lots of fatty diets out there and there's no from me there's no one diet out there that's going to cure cancer or do anything miraculous 
it will just hopefully make you feel healthy um, and hopefully reduce your risk of getting certain diseases but not all. No very well explained and I think once again we should touch on the fact that you can be an unhealthy vegan. Yes (laughs) yes you can because after all veganism is about um, eliminating animal products from your diet and there's lots of ethical vegans out there that won't go vegan for nutrition reasons or environmental reasons and you know, I could be a vegan and I could just eat chips and dairy-free ice cream. Yeah. I'd still be a vegan. And it tastes really good. It does taste great. And in moderation, <laughs> you know. It doesn't your health. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. So that that's true. It isn't, um, you know, that you can be unhealthy and be vegan. Because I see a lot of brands that use things to their advantage, which I think really confuses the public. So mm-hmm. I th- even on TV documentaries at the moment, I know I've done a few and they, they seem to want you to almost say, oh... It's this miracle, like we said before. Yes, and it's hard because there's a lot of documentaries out there which are really trying to push the benefits of plant-based diets. Um, And obviously, if you're making a documentary, you're trying to just collate all the evidence that's really supportive and really great. Mm. Um, And actually, what I find is sometimes um, they can be a bit scaremongering. I completely agree. I think some of them are terrifying. And, you know, if you're someone that might not have access to plant foods, doesn't know how to cook certain plant foods, and you watch uh, a documentary and it scares you into going vegan, I think being scared into doing something isn't a great way to do it. Actually, there's loads of really lovely positive reasons why you can eat more plant foods. And that, in my mind, is is good reason enough. Um, So, yeah, they can be a little bit problematic. Yeah, I think um, anything to make a little bit of money or to label a, a cereal bar vegan. Yeah. To shift a few more sales. Absolutely. And with it being Veganuary as well, um, started off as quite a grassroots movement. And now, you know, lots of different companies are really jumping on that um, mm. to try and sell products. Absolutely. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It is fascinating because I've noticed the difference in the last two or three years um, Yeah, with with a demand for people just wanting newspaper features on Veganuary and different things that just weren't there when I started my nutrition career. And I'm sure yeah. you felt the same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So pregnancy is obviously, I'm currently, as we record this episode, um, 27 weeks pregnant so congratulations yeah I'm coming into the third trimester now thank you which is very exciting and I've had a lot of questions from people asking about is it safe to be a vegan during pregnancy and I know obviously you've got your nine month old could you touch on that for us absolutely so I've got some real personal experience on this now which is really reassuring um So the British Dietetic Association states that plant-based diets are safe for every age and stage of life, and that includes lactation and pregnancy. And I'd say if you're um, plant-based and pregnant or thinking about conceiving, um, the advice is pretty much the same as any other pregnant person. You know, you need to be eating a healthy, balanced diet, taking your folic acid for the Mm. first 12 weeks. Um, You do have increased protein needs as a pregnant woman, 
but usually um, if you're eating enough of the right foods you should be hitting your protein but it's just good to be mindful that you're having those primary protein sources at every meal um calcium your requirements for calcium oh really increase during like pregnancy a thousand i think i'm now moving into the a thousand like milligrams a day amount <laughs> yes and i'm currently breastfeeding so i think it's 1250 <laughs> whoa <laughs> yeah so it's quite a, a big amount of calcium that you need um and with plant foods probably the best sources of calcium for plant foods would be things like your fortified plant milks calcium set tofu has an amazing amount of calcium per 100 gram um i think about 500 milligrams Brilliant. per 100 gram but you need to make sure it's calcium set so look on the labels for that um and there are lots of plant foods that have calcium in them like beans and lentils but here's a caveat. You've got things called phytates and oxalates. They're natural, harmless organic compounds. They're present in things like beans and lentils, but they can disrupt the absorption of calcium. So we wouldn't consider beans and lentils to be good sources. Um, so what you can do is you can soak, sprout, or cook your beans and lentils, and that helps to reduce the phytate and oxalate contents, which can really you know, yeah. help with the absorption. And vitamin D also helps with calcium absorption, of which is course. why those fortified plant milks are a real godsend, really. Fortified foods in general, I think, yes. best advice for anyone plant-based and being pregnant or breastfeeding Absolutely. is just get it in. <laughs> totally, totally, yeah. It's really refreshing to hear, actually, um, that there are options for people out there. And a very topical conversation at the moment going on in the media is should we be bringing our children up vegan? Now, um, I'm just going to let you answer that. <laughs> well, um, I guess, yes, as long as you're doing it safely and as long as you have the knowledge. Um, because after all, we all bring up our children with our own ethics and morals. So people who are plant-based or vegan, they'll be bringing up their children in a way that they feel is right for them. But the key is just to make sure that you're doing it responsibly. Um, and one of the key things you need to remember if you're bringing up children plant-based is there's two things that are really important for growth in kids. Protein, obviously, but actually calories. And as I mentioned yes. earlier, you know, a lot of plant foods are very high in fiber. They're very filling. So probably the biggest thing you need to look for if raising vegan children is making sure they're getting enough calories. If they're having lots of high fiber foods, they might fill up more quickly and they're not getting enough calories. So a few tips. You can give a variety of whole grains and refined grains. So for instance, give them white pasta and white bread, but also brown rice. Something else you could do is make sure there's plenty of healthy fats in there. So avocados and nut butters, mm. that will certainly help with their calorie intake. And it's particularly important in under threes to make sure if you're using a plant-based milk, that it's one that's appropriate for their age. So a lot of plant-based milks are quite low in protein. They're not always fortified with a good variety of micronutrients. So the current recommendations would be outprogramming up milk, which um, is fortified with B12, calcium, vitamin D and iodine, and Oatly Barista, again, fortified with all of those nutrients. And the reason why I suggest those two is because they are high enough in calories because it's really important that the plant milk is high in calories and a lot of plant milks can be very low in calories so that's why those are currently the two recommended milks that you'd be um, asked to consider by a paediatric dietitian. That's such invaluable advice because it can be a complete minefield I'm sure for parents out there shopping mm -hmm. knowing what to look for and I think it's very easy to forget that actually your children's requirements won't be listed on the labels on the back of a pack because it's yes. generally speaking for adults. Yep and also children's calorie requirements are probably higher than you might think. You sort of look at your kid and you think well you know they're sort of a quarter of the size of me yes. so they might need a quarter <laughs> of my calories but that's not necessarily true. Mm. Um, they they, they they go through huge rapid um growth growth exactly yeah, yeah. i mean their bones growth spurts growing. all the time everything's growing <laughs> exactly they're growing from this tiny little thing you know i've watched my my little one grow from this little um eight pound baby into this 10 kilo monster in nine months <laughs> and mainly with my breast milk and yeah. now she's 
she's weaning onto foods and it's just incredible the amount of yeah. growth the amount of brain development it completely blows my mind and it, it is just so important to if anyone listening take take notes when you're listening to this podcast because going to a documentary to get information about these diets like the ones I mean, we're not going to name them but they don't educate you in the same way they'll have their viewpoint and they'll yeah. try and raise a point but that's not your main go-to source is it for nutrition it's it's a really good place to start and there are some things in the documentaries that are valid and are really really well backed up with science and there's other research in there that maybe isn't as well backed up um but it's hard to know what's what. And as a health professional watching them, I know, well, I know that's in a nice guideline, so that's valid, but mm, I've never heard of this before. Mm. And then I look at the research paper and maybe the quality of research in is, isn't as high as I would personally want to be using. Mm. But it's very difficult difficult as a lay person, as, as a member of the public watching those. So don't believe everything on the documentaries, but make yeah. sure if you're going to turn to social media, follow registered nutritionists and dietitians. Yeah. Follow people that like held... yourself who know what they're doing. Absolutely, I'm held accountable for the advice that I give. Mm. That's part of my registration. Mm. That's why you can trust what I'm putting out there. Whereas regulation like that doesn't exist for doctors, and especially in America, they don't have that same level of of you know regulation that exists there. And there's so. a lot of confusion often. Um, yeah, with titles of different health professionals out there. But over the last couple of years, it has become very popular, hasn't it, to make the dietary shift all in all. So what would you say are the biggest consequences of going vegan? I mean, should it continue to grow? Do you think it's just going to get bigger and bigger? What do people need to really think about? So I really do think it is going to continue to grow, especially with everything going on right now with flooding in Indonesia, the fires, fires? in Australia. Oh. Um, climate change is very real and we know that plant-based diets on the whole are better for the environment, they're, they're a more sustainable option. Um, plant milks, some plant milks are more sustainable than other plant milks and other milks available from animal sources. So. Um, I think it will keep on growing. And what's really encouraging is that brands are fortifying foods and they're taking notes. So it means the consumer is better protected, but still it, it massively is, it, you know, it's a good thing for you to have that knowledge yourself. So when you come across these lovely recipes online, you think, hmm, I could make salmon out of carrots, but <laughs> there is no primary <laughs> protein source. So I'm yeah. going to make myself a nice little carrot one salmon of my thing pet and... peeves is jack jackfruit at the <laughs> yes. moment because it's not really very sustainable and it contains no protein <laughs> no and there's so many examples like that where yeah. and you know it's lovely that people are so inventive yeah. with food but you know if you're having a jackfruit pulled pork um you know bat for lunch yeah and then you go home and you have a mac and cheese which is made from carrots and potatoes you can see, going back to my primary source of protein, there's there is some lacking there. There's a there's a lack of variety. So while it's it's great that people are inventive, it's good to have that awareness. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So <laughs> I could ask you questions forever. But we do have lots of questions from followers. I'm often okay. asked, and I've been making a good note, especially for you. So I'll see what I, I'll try my best. Okay, <laughs> bring it on. I'm sure you'll be great. Nat has said you often hear plant based and veganism used together. What's the difference? Okay, so I would say that plant-based um, is more about the majority, if not all, of your foods coming from plants. People that tend to say they're plant-based usually have come to a plant-based diet because of reasons for health or maybe environment, whereas veganism is a lot more kind of wrapped up in ethics and morals and it's more about that conscious decision to not use animal products across the board so that's not just about the food you eat it's about what you wear it's about the cosmetics that you yeah, that you, you use yep yep so any makeup you might buy shoes. or deodorant shoes cleaning products all that kind of stuff so a vegan will aim to not use any of those things from animal products whereas someone who's plant-based it's mainly focused on food yeah, no, that's a very, very good explanation. I, I know um, one of my friend's sisters uh, refused to drive a particular type of car. Okay. Yeah, because of the, the seating in the car. So now they. So make, it was leather seating yeah. rather than... Yeah, so absolutely. It's, it's very, it goes very deep. Um, Sarah has asked, 
recently there's been a lot of discussion about milk. If I am to buy plant-based milk, which one's best for you? So we've discussed for children, what are the key nutrients to look for, fortification in milk? So I would say you want to be making sure your milk is fortified with B12, with calcium and with vitamin D. And for children, iodine is a bonus as well. Um, and also look at the protein content of your milks. I mean, again, if you're eating a varied balanced diet, actually you're probably going to be getting your protein from other sources. Mm. But it doesn't hurt to consider a, a higher protein um, yeah. soy milk, for instance. Soy is good. I also discovered recently in the supermarket, and I was definitely, it's not a cheap option. It's not something I would say everyone go out there and buy, but pea milk, yes. until it becomes more accessible. But yes. very high in protein. Yes. So peas peas are actually very yeah. high in protein. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And again, it's something you just wouldn't think of, would you? No, I, I mean the taste might be an acquired taste. Yes, I have not tried it. I, I don't quite know. liked how thick it was in my porridge, but I know it won't be for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Kylie has said, "I've been vegan for two years, but worried about my nutrient levels." Interesting. After what you said earlier, okay. Sam. After two years, how can I easily track and monitor it? What do I do? Wow, I don't know if there is there is an easy way to track and monitor it because I know the tracking apps that you get are often um, user-submitted in terms of micronutrients. Mm. So if you were to use a tracking app to try and figure out how much B12 or iron you're getting, I'm not sure how reliable it would be. Probably the best thing would be to consult a dietitian or nutritionist because mm. they can look at your food diary, they can identify yeah. what you're eating, um, whether it's rich or not in a certain array of micronutrients yeah. you can do the research yourself um, but again sources online it's very very difficult to know what's reliable and not hard to decipher um, very well answered Tim has said oh, I'd be interested to know this one I've heard alcohol is not often vegan why is this? okay so um, I think I'm pronouncing it right is in glass it's like the swim bladders of fish can be used to purify certain alcohols and also um, casein which is a milk protein can be used as well to clarify alcohols so in terms of wine in terms of beers and lagers that's something you need to be mindful of most spirits are usually okay um so yeah that's right it's some, something else to think of if you're a vegan <laughs> as if that isn't enough to be thinking of exactly it's so interesting um and finally poppy i love the name poppy it's yeah. beautiful isn't it yeah. it's really nice lovely flower um yeah are animal products actually in our makeup and toiletries if so what do i need to look out for oh that's a tough one yeah i, I must admit that is not my forte or speciality. No, we're, nutri- we're nutrition dietitianists on this podcast. Yeah, that's a- But I mean, you know, I think beeswax is a common thing that's mm. in cosmetics. Um, and there's definitely brands that are either vegan or nearly um, Or they're 60% there. vegan now is what I'm yeah. hearing a lot. So they're trying. So a quick search on the internet for vegan-friendly brands and you'll get a whole list of them. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a lot easier now. Again, thinking back to 13 years ago, minefield. <laughs> Minefield. <laughs> Can't even imagine. Now so much easier. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for taking those questions. We now move on to the fact or fiction round. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could answer fact or fiction to the following, are you ready? I'll try my best. Okay. Let's see if we can do this. <laughs> okay. Vegans live longer than meat eaters. <sighs> I mean, how could we really know? Exactly. I mean, let's say fiction for now. And then see what happens. Yeah, see what happens. (laughs) A vegan diet makes you weak. Oh, fiction. The only supplement you need to take is B12. Fiction, as we've discussed. Mm -hmm. Soya is a vegan food that you should avoid. Fiction, absolutely not. Soya is fantastic. It's really versatile. It's got a complete amino acid profile and all the scaremongering online is just that. It's scaremongering. Don't be scared to have soya. Excellent. And we've got a good blog on nutrition, actually. Go check it out on soy. Brilliant. Um, You can't get enough calcium on a vegan diet. You can, absolutely. Excellent. It's not safe to have a vegan diet if you're anemic. Um, I'd say that's fiction. Yeah. Vegan diets are not suitable for children. Fiction. Most vegans are deficient in something. <sighs> That's hard to say as well. I would I would say <laughs> fiction. It's hard to say most are. Yeah, it yeah. is hard. Jackfruit is a good meat alternative. Well, it depends why you think it's good. 
<laughs> if you like the taste of it, go for it. Yeah. But I'd say nutritionally, probably not that comparable to go. what it's replacing. <laughs> Going vegan will mean you'll lose weight. Fiction. There's plenty of people out there who are vegan and they're not losing weight at all. Yeah. Well done. That was our fact or fiction <laughs> that round. That wasn't so bad. That <laughs> wasn't did. so bad. You got a good one, actually. I think that was a good one. So that does nearly wrap up the episode. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. So mine today to start would be mm-hmm. that I think one of the biggest misconceptions about eating a plant-based diet is that you only really get a selected amount of food. So as we discussed at the beginning of the episode, people see it as restriction. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously exploring diversity takes a bit of time, but you'll soon realise that actually if you were to eat everything out there, it can be a bit of a challenge sometimes. You've really got to be a bit more clued up. And if you are switching to a full-time plant-based diet, I'd kind of recommend, as Sam said, I mean, I love the idea of vegan breakfasts, mm-hmm. doing it gradually mm-hmm. rather than just overnight. Know your options. Know what's going to work well for you because your body may take time to adjust. And to be honest, the wealth of new foods and the recipes that you're going to be finding and exploring, I mean, over yeah. a period of time your shopping list will change drastically if you are making a big change like that so as we did discuss don't automatically assume veganism's healthy please remember that it comes to what you choose as a unique individual to put on your plate so I wanted to whiz through that because I just can't wait to hear your food for thought Sam what would you leave our listeners with today so I would say it's quite short and simple really just make sure the information you're getting is from trusted sources. Um, be aware there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation out there. Good intentions, but bad nutrition advice. So seek the right advice from the right individuals and you'll absolutely fly. I love that. And where can we find more about about you? So um, I'm on Instagram as the vegan dietitian with dots in between the uh, yes, the words. Cause I'll put it in the bio. <laughs> <laughs> the other, the one without dots was not available. Um, <laughs> so you can find me primarily on there. Excellent. Well, Sam, thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for having me. It's thank been amazing. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there to reach those higher highs in the charts and to help more people. For more information about my Retrition Clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.